Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applications applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Storm is moving through. Nice, clear skies tomorrow. For the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament. Matt's been practicing. So many things going on. Baseball being played. Uh, baseball is getting to the uh, getting close to the quarter pole, believe it or not. Once you get to the fifteenth game, I know the Phillies are a long way from that. But other teams are approaching fifteen games. That means you're at the quarter pole. Uh, the Pirates are playing today. They're losing to the Twins 3 nothing. Although the last couple of games have been close. They've come down to late innings. I was stunned when, they took a 4 nothing lead over the Twins yesterday. I was stunned they had any lead in that game. I thought they would have no chance with the way the t- Twins have been playing so far. But, of course, the bullpen blew it, which we all kind of expected anyway. Easy for you to say you've got all the weapons. Yankee fans. (laughs) Yankee fans have everything. So, one thing we are waiting on is um, we're waiting on the Big Ten as to when they're going to announce the start. I think they were working on a couple of models. Believe it or not, one actually, one model actually had still September 5th. Now they may wait, maybe announce it tomorrow, but might be September 19th. Trying to, they're, they're trying to build in couple of bye weeks and maybe have the last weekend of the season which is Thanksgiving weekend 
and have that as an open week in case you need to make up a game. The idea, I believe, is still to play 10. We all have our leaders in the clubhouse. My leader in the clubhouse for Penn State is still Illinois, but we'll see. Here's something else I don't think a lot of people realize. And that is this. The simple formula is always to count back from your opening game. That's when you start. Uh, That's not true in this case. If you notice, the SEC is going to start September 26th. Okay. So... But they're allowed to go to camp August 17th. This is what they're going to allow. They're going to allow you to get in 25 practices in 40 days. They want to build in a little time here and there if you need to pause. So that's what they're going to allow you to do. Most of you probably did not know that. So that's where it's standing. We're just waiting. Waiting to see. But the Phillies did play last night. And, but tonight's game is is postponed because of rain, right? Yes, because of the storm heading into the New York area. So we got a doubleheader tomorrow in Eagle 107. What time tomorrow? Uh, the first game is at 4.05, so coverage will start yeah. at 3.30 from Citizens Bank Park. And there's seven inning games. Correct. It's interesting, getting the lead early in a seven-inning game really puts a lot of pressure on the opposing team. It's amazing. All right, we're going to do the show tomorrow from... Um, the Susquehanna Valley Country Club. I'm sure, they're excited to have us there. You could have said yes; I would have helped. No. <laughs> of course, they are. Okay, opt-outs. Caleb Farley, of course, opted out for Virginia Tech today. Rashad Bateman of Minnesota opted out to get ready for the NFL draft. Okay. Again, said it once, said it how many times? Anybody who wants to opt out, you have to do what you're comfortable with. That's what he's comfortable with. Uh, let's see. 
Ben Roethlisberger said today that the elbow surgery had actually repaired three torn tendons. Next up for the Cardinals, there are seven players that tested positive for the St. Louis Cardinals. One of them is Yadier Molina. In fact, they gave out the name. The Cardinals did announce who it was. It's Yadier Molina, Paul DeJong, Edmundo Sosa, Rangel Ravello, Junior Fernandez, and Cody Whitley all tested positive. A seventh player did not give permission for his name to be released. All right. The Cardinals hope that they can play Friday when they host the Cubs. The Marlins are, let's see, are the Marlins scheduled tonight? Let's see here. First of all, the Twins lead the Pirates 4 nothing at the end of two as Miguel Sano uh, hit a home run. Let's see. Phillies and Yankees postponed because of normal reasons. Cleveland, Cincinnati at six. Let's see. Red Sox, Tampa Bay. That'll be a good one. Uh, Mets, Washington, Toronto, Atlanta. Is anybody over 500? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Miami is playing. Uh, the Marlins return tonight. They play Baltimore tonight. Baltimore's five and three. Can you imagine the Orioles making the playoffs? Yeah, they are quietly and uh-huh. all alone in second place right now in the AL East. Hey, all second place teams make it, man. And uh, Roger Penske announced today, because of a certain stalker, no fans allowed at the Indy 500. <laughs> the stalker was not named. Uh, this uh, the, you know this is tough for a lot of people, but let's take. I know the suit, by the way, is no fan of Roger Penske, even though essentially he saved his sport. Uh, <laughs> he bought the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he has spent, they say, literally every day upgrading to prepare for his favorite race. So they changed it from Memorial Day to the twenty third. Of this month, he initially said he would not run the 500 without fans, but he today reversed course. At one point, he added to 50, then he lowered it to 25, and then today he announced that uh, there will be no fans whatsoever. Uh, he said, "We didn't buy the Speedway for one year; we bought it for generations to come. It's important to our reputation to do the right thing." Penske said. In a phone interview, um, he said, we need to be smart and safe about this. Obviously, we want full attendance, but we don't want to jeopardize the health and safety of our fans and the community. We don't want to jeopardize the ability to hold a successful race. He said that they will forever uh, be willing to hold Indy 500s one person under total capacity because the one person who lives unnamed in Pennsylvania uh, they fear oh wait a minute. That's, I don't think I was supposed to read that part was I 
<laughs> Probably not, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Details. <laughs> when asked who that one person is, he said, let me give you a vision. It's a jacket and tie. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just needed to know. IU Health said it appreciates the Speedway safety plan. So, it's a one-year thing, but they'll race, and you know, and we'll watch. Some of us, some people, will be glued to it every single lap, rooting against people, not for people. Like if you ask the suit about the race, oh, willpower can't win. Why don't you? Tell me who you're rooting for. Yes, I am fully aware of that. It's always like who you don't want to win. Okay. Um, the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, right now, uh, no fans for games. Miami Dolphins, they haven't officially decided what to do yet. Right now, they released a plan for 15,000 fans. Patriots limiting to 20% capacity at Gillette Stadium pending state and local approval. The Jets, no problem. They don't have any fans. No, I'm just no fans are permitted to watch the game at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Ravens, uh, uh, 14,000. Bengals, um, they said greatly reduced seating. Uh, they have announced, not announced yet what that means. Uh, capacity, let's see, uh, for the Cleveland Browns will be, uh, Mike DeWine, the governor, said too early to determine. Steelers are planning to limit the number of fans on Heinz Field, but that reduced capacity has not been determined yet. Houston, they would reduce to 14,000 seats the first eight rows in the lower level would not be sold. They can get 50, 50%, though, under the state order. Colts, 25% capacity. Jacksonville, 25% capacity. So it would be 16791 Uh Tennessee Titans, they say limited capacity but don't have a number. Denver Broncos. Uh, no decision made yet on fans, whether it's a limit or whether there'll be no fans. Uh, Chiefs are planning games with reduced capacity, but they have not released their plan. Vegas Raiders. Mark Davis followed through on an earlier feeling by emailing Raiders season ticket holders on Monday to tell them that fans would not be allowed at home games this season. Chargers, of course, of the year they're supposed to be moving into SoFi Stadium. They say the cap is 15,000 fans. Cowboys might go to 40,000 fans. Field suites will not be in use. NFL putting tarps over the first eight rows of the stadium. Giants, no fans. MetLife Stadium's in Jersey. Eagles. Let's see. Currently, Philadelphia prohibits outdoor events involving more than 50 people. 
That would limit the capacity, I think. Be a lot of empty seats. Uh, Reds, the Redskins, sorry. Washington football team. Tentative plan for fans to attend, sending out a letter of season ticket holders to use mobile ticketing only. Fans have to wear masks at games. They would like to end up with 25,000. The Bears. Uh, The governor has not signed off on legislation that would permit fans to attend Bears games. Detroit Lions. They're waiting for regulations from Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Was already has an executive order saying no live audiences are permitted for sporting events in Wayne County, which is where the Lions play. But things can change between now and September. Packers, Green Bay, uh, no more than 12,000. Vikings have not announced specific attendance numbers yet. Atlanta Falcons preparing for capacity of between 10 and 20,000 at Mercedes Benz Stadium. Carolina Panthers in discussions for 20,000 fans. Saints have not finalized a plan yet. Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, have not, uh, they're still determining their capacity. Arizona Cardinals uh, not clear what they want to do. Rams 15,000 like the Chargers. 49ers haven't said yet what they're going to do in San Francisco and Seattle they have not announced a range, and right now King County, King County, where they are, is paused in Phase 2 of Governor Jay Inslee's four-phase plan of reopening. So that's what the NFL has in terms of fan plan. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great pre-owned inventory. Great deals to be had. And a fabulous service department to take care of the life of your purchase. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Great to have Jim Jackson with us on the show. Hey, I hope everyone for you is a safe, sound, and well. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, outside of some tree limbs and... Uh... Once we've uh, met its demise in our neighborhood, we're okay. Yeah, that's good. Great to great to hear that because obviously, let's see, you got the pandemic, got a tropical storm. You know, other than that's all going well. Uh, yeah. Okay, just, just let's those start. Little things, Jeff. Just just those little things. Uh, I want to start with the flyers. Um, the I know you did the uh, you worked on the uh, Penguins uh, exhibition, but they were out and they beat the Bruins four to one. And now they put themselves in a pretty good spot because right now, if they beat Washington on Thursday, they uh, lock Philadelphia into the number three seed at worst in this 16-team tournament. What did you like about the approach to the win over the Bruins? It really was the, the Flyers' 
from before the pause. They kind of waded into the game. They had not been a great first period team all year. They were a great first period team on Sunday. They were outshot 12-6. Carter Hart made some good stops, held the Bruins at bay. And then the second and third periods, the Flyers all year took games over, and that's what they did. I mean, they just dominated the second period. Bruins did not look sharp. Uh, I, I, you know, sometimes in hockey it's tough. We have to which, which was the team one team that good or was the other team that bad? And it was a little bit of both on, on this one. On this one, but the, the Flyers really played a lot like they did before the pause, which was getting better as the game goes along, getting solid goaltending, having their defense join the rush to create offense, and having a multitude of scores. They don't rely on one guy. And when you got guys like Lawton and Raffle and Thompson scoring goals, you know that they're getting goals from, from some of the guys that aren't on the top line. So uh, it really was the recipe they used all year. When you watch Carter Hart in goal, what do you see in this guy? Because the Bruins, I think the Bruins have only been held to one goal, I think, once, and that was back in October. What I see is a, a 21, simply 22-year-old who basically plays the game like a 31 or 32-year-old. He's just so calm in that, and all of his teammates talk about that. You know, they see him around the locker room, they see him in the hotel, and you think of him as a kid because you see his basically he, he looks about 16 or 17 facially but then he puts the mask on the gear on and all of a sudden he's just a monster out there and he's, he's so calm uh really they were not as i said playing well in that first period sunday and he made some big saves he doesn't although he did have some spectacular stops this year no doubt about that in general he, he makes it look easy because he's such a positional goalie a lot like carrie Price, who he, he modeled his game after as a youngster and uh, I think he did a good job of that because uh, Nate Thompson the other day said, hey, he, he looks a lot like a goalie I, I played in front of in Montreal. If you're compared to Carey Price and Carey Price is in his prime, uh, you're doing something right. And so uh, Carter's not on his way there. He's still going to have to experience adversity in the playoffs, which is always different than the regular season, although different without fans. I mean, these playoffs are, are different in all ways. There's no doubt about that. But still, I think uh, you feel that the weight of the pressure of the playoffs to some degree. You certainly want to win for your teammates. And he's going to let in a bad one here or there, and it's, it's how he responds to that under the pressure of the playoffs that will really be the, the test that, that he's, he's the kind of guy who can lead the team in the pressure situation. I don't have any doubt he'll be that guy. I mean, he's just uh, so conscientious about his, his job and, and, and being prepared and both physically and mentally, so we'll see how that goes. But there will be adversity somewhere on line. It's never a smooth trip to the Stanley Cup. No, it never is. Uh, what could make it a smoother trip is James Van Riemsdyk getting himself back into form. I know he missed a little bit at the end before the pause, but obviously he's had time to get better. Uh, it, does he seem a, just a hair off to you right now, no matter what combination he's in? Yeah, they said he looked good in camp uh, in the, uh, the summer camp. Uh, down in Philadelphia, we were not allowed to go to those, but in the scrimmage and so forth, but did not look particularly good in the exhibition game against Pittsburgh or in the first game against Boston. But I do think uh, we have to take it easy. He, he did uh, recover from an injury. He's been off a long time, and he's also not getting a ton of ice time. He's on the third line, and they're not getting a ton of power plays if he's going to get power play time. So he's not getting a lot of ice time. So uh, I think you'll see it come around. JBR had an interesting year this year. Kind of different from some of his years past. He's been known as a guy who 
you can bury him on a third or fourth line, put him in the power play, and he'll still score 25 to 30 goals for you. Those kind of players don't grow on trees. But not necessarily a guy who's all around game would wow you. But this year, his, his numbers, when you look behind this goal of assist points, uh, were really strong. He played a, a well-rounded game. Played well in his own zone and was diligent in his back-checking in addition to trying to put the puck in the net. They, they need that JVR to emerge here in the playoffs. I think uh, I think there'll be time. I mean, as Elaine uh, Vigneault likes to talk about, some players have a little bit more money in the bank, so they get a little more time to, to find their game. I think Jake Borchek's also still trying to find his game a little bit. Some of the veteran guys, whereas the youngsters are already to fly out there in the playoffs, so... Um, that's what the advantage is for these teams that are in the round robin. They they get you know, one preseason or exhibition game, and now they get these three games that they're important. You want as high a seed as you can get, but they're not do or die. They're not like these best of five game qualifiers where these teams are playing for their playoff lives. So I think it, it's helpful for the veteran players to have these four games early with that exhibition game added to it to get their game in gear and be ready come August 11th or 12th when they have to play that first game of the round of 16. Obviously, going through this, I think one of the elements that is important in what the Flyers or any of these 24 teams happen to be doing, I think you have to have some depth uh, because it's been a while and depth's going to be important. Michael Raffles, one, got hurt, so banged up, so he's going to miss a couple of games probably. How do you consider the Flyers' depth, in your opinion? I think it's really good, and I think that's really what's made them a good team this year. Even if you're talking about just depth within the lineup, they do not have a guy in the top 20 scoring, and yet they're one of the top scoring teams in the league. They're in the top 10, and uh, they rely on not one line. They rely on different lines in the first game against Boston, certainly an example of that. But if you're talking about more depth in the organization, they added to that with the acquisitions of Grant and Thompson, Give them no some doubt. forward depth, and that's going to come into play. You're going to have a guy who was playing, who didn't play in the first game, Joel Farabee, get in there. You're going to have, there are other guys, too, mostly younger guys who will get a chance as injuries do pile up. Um, and then, of course, on the, the defensive side, you have Shane Dostisberg, who didn't play, and he's chomping at the bit to get in the lineup. And Mark Friedman's a kind of a sleeper who they're very high on. And then uh, Igor Zamula, who's uh, you know very green, hasn't played a single game in the NHL, but they're extremely high on him. So they have some depth back there, although it's it's uh, outside of Gossis, but inexperienced depth, and, and in Verbi's case, inexperienced depth. You just never know how uh, a first-time playoff participant is going to react to the big show, but you also have a higher upside. It, it's possible that a Joel Verbi gets into the lineup and un, and might end up climbing the, the chart and end up on the second line before all is said and done as a major contributor. He has that kind of skill. And, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see how these young guys adapt as they get their chances. Jim, one more question about the Flyers before I then turn my attention to the Phillies, and that deals with the round-robin aspect of it. The Penguins are in a series right now with Montreal where they're tied at a game apiece. The Rangers are on the verge of elimination. No matter what the Flyers do here right now, they're not being eliminated. They're just getting ready for the playoffs. Have any of the players or even Alan Vigneault commented about the intensity level? Does it feel like a playoff game? Does it feel like a regular season game? Or is it something in between? Yeah, they were all asked about that. And most of the players seem to indicate they felt it was like a, a little bit more than a regular season game, but maybe a little bit less than a playoff game or maybe a late-season, regular-season game where you need to win. You're in a race either for a playoff spot or for points to, to get the, 
the right position. So not quite ramped up to put. Now that could be also the lack of crowd, right? That the lack of fans there that that might impact that no overall doubt. atmosphere of what it feels like too. But in terms of the play, there's no doubt that they didn't get the best of the Boston Bruins. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's not the Boston Bruins team that's been going on these playoff runs to the finals last year. And, and you know, you're going to get better than that. I think the Capitals are an interesting uh, test for them on Thursday because they play a heavy game even if they're playing a preseason game. So you're, you're going to get a physical test from the Capitals. And uh, they handled the Capitals this year. The, the Flyers 3-0-1 against them. But Alain has not he's not really sugarcoated it. He was not looking at these three games as must-win games. He's more concerned with having his team in the right position from a lineup standpoint, a health standpoint, and certainly a bojo standpoint once the games start uh, in the round of 16. And also, they are the four seed. They had nothing to lose. They couldn't fall any further, right? Exactly. They could lose all three games, which they're not going to do still would have been the four seed, so it's all money in the bank, really, for them. If, if they can climb, all the other teams at least have a risk of falling at least one seed, and in Boston's case, maybe all the way from first to fourth, so they have something to lose. The Flyers and Dallas and West had nothing to lose in this round robin, so it's it's easy to go into that with the attitude that uh, A.V. has taken, and, and they seem to be adjusting and using that to their advantage. Alright, so now we transition to the Phillies as promised. The Flyers have played more games in the last 10 days than the Phillies have. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's the reality of it. Uh, yet, you're, by the time the week is over with, Phillies aside, I don't think people realize that baseball will be at the quarter pole. Uh, they'll be well, 25% teams, through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, yeah. All, 28 of the 30 will be. Oh, no, 20, I'm well, sorry, 27 Miami, of the 30. Louis, in the Phillies, yeah, I mean, and, the yeah, problem that they have with these games is the fact that they they now have three teams that have lost a big chunk right. of their schedule and others that have lost some, you know, three or four games of their schedule. Right. Any more team pops up with positives, it's not just the team, it's the team they played last that ends up, as the, the Phillies found out, what? ends up having to, to miss games, so... Yeah, it is getting late early. I know what you're saying, but it's also yeah. with only four games in the books. It's almost impossible to, to make any kind of assessment of this team so far. Exactly. Which I which brings this up. You have this situation that happened with Philadelphia. I know the players all tested negative, but a couple of others in the organization tested positive. I got that. Why do you have the 30 guys at Lehigh Valley if you're just not going to bring them and have them play the games for, for a couple of days? Oh, you, you, you're saying they should have brought, but that would have been really punishing the Phillies to, to use their second group of 30, if you will, to play games due to no fault of their own. I mean, uh, they they to, they have some real good prospects there, Spencer Howard and Alex Bowman. They have some good players, but for the most part, the other players in the Valley weren't quite good enough to make the team as currently constituted. So Major League Baseball, if they did that, would have said, uh, we're, you're going to use your second stringers for a week because the other team you played against broke the rules and, and, and got COVID and you played against them. To me, that would be unfair. Now, right. I, I understand what you're saying. 56 games now in 54 days starting tomorrow. That's not necessarily fair either, but uh, in the 2020, not a lot is fair for anybody. Right. 
What do you think of the uh, the Phillies will have uh, obviously have to play Wednesday in a doubleheader with the Yankees because there's a normal baseball reason it got rained out. <laughs> okay, yeah. but it's going to be two. But it's going to be two seven inning games, which in doing the state college spikes like I have for years, I'm used to that. Major League Baseball is not used to it. What's your thought on uh, seven inning doubleheaders? I think they almost had to do it, and now with what's happening with probably a lot of doubleheaders. Um, as I said, they're going to play 56 games in 54 days. I don't think they're going to make them play every day. I know it's 54, so someone on the line, they're probably going to break it up by giving them an off day and having them play a doubleheader like they used to in the old days. Uh, I, I don't mind it. I certainly don't think and hope that they carry it forward. Because I think each game in a regular season, 162-game season, should carry equal weight. So why should some games be shorter than others? Um, they obviously do in the minor leagues because they don't want the kids playing in the right, one in the exactly. morning as part of a doubleheader and getting on a bus and all that. So, uh, you know, at the major league level, I think games should be nine innings. Now, nothing that happens this year is normal. So I don't mind it this year. I don't mind – I don't like it, but I don't mind that putting the runner at second base in the tenth inning for this year. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of these uh, broadcasters and analysts raving about it and saying maybe it's something that should be in the future and maybe it will become to me though it's inherent in baseball to earn your way on base and just given a base runner I don't like that but again for this year they want to do it that way fine DH that might be coming permanently anyhow but for this year I certainly understand it so you just have to to look at this year as what it is a 60 game sprint that isn't yeah. quite like any other season and if they have to, to make uh, things like seven inning double headers then so be it it's funny I actually read an article in the athletic one of the writers said you know it's really weird I don't mind the runner on second I was yeah. shocked when I read that. <laughs> well, I, I don't think a lot of writers and broadcasters will hate it because it'll lead to shorter games. I don't think many yes. broadcasters and writers like those five and a half hour, seventeen games. But and I'm not saying I love them either. But bottom line is, to me, you know, baseball's about getting on base by putting a runner yeah. out there. To me, I just don't think that's baseball. But um, I. I hear what you're hearing. I hear a lot of positive feedback on this, so I would not be shocked if it, it is put in moving forward. I don't know if I told you this story, but the first year the New York Penn League put it in, so opening night, State College is hosting Williamsport here. Okay. So, in other words, as the broadcaster, I have to explain that the guy that made the last out now is at second base, and this is how they're going to play it. All right. So that's the opening night. The second night of the season, the series then moved to Williamsport. And doggone it, Jim, the same thing happened. They go to extra innings. So State College has to put a runner out on second base. And the fans down below the broadcast booth started chanting, that's not baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Major League Baseball doesn't have to worry about that chant this year, do they? You got that right, Jim. No fans. Absolute pleasure. Great respect for your work as always and the time that you give us. I appreciate it and you very much. My pleasure. It's fun talking sports again. Jim Jackson joining us. Great to have him on the show. Um, yeah. That's, I know I've told that story a couple times, but that's one of those. I'll never forget those fans of Williamsport. That's not baseball. That's not baseball. <laughs> and Gabe Sidacropi knows what I'm talking about.
<laughs> but you know the funny thing about it? Funny thing about it is this. You get used to it. I didn't think I'd get used to it. But you get used to it. You know, suddenly you do it for, you know, like the designated hitter, not seeing a pitcher hit. And I was a kid when that happened, obviously. Kid, I was, what, 14? You know, like, actually, I liked it from the get-go because I really did not want to watch Jose Santiago hit. I wanted to watch Orlando Cepeda hit. Maybe feel like they had a shot. But that that's just me. But it was different not seeing the pitcher hit. And, and then you get used to it. You get used to it. All right. We'll take a break. Back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Great to have you with us on the show today. Um, The key to me is, uh, there are two keys to this, uh, well, actually three in the schedule release um, for the Big Ten that we're waiting on. A, ten games, which I think is what it will be. Then the key to me is, what's the start date? I know there was some desire within the Big Ten to start September 5th. There's also some desire in the, in the Big Ten to start September 19th. Wait two weeks. And part of that is they'd like to see the last weekend of the season be an open date for everybody in case you need to make up one. Let's see how they want to play it out. Now, the idea of nothing but division games to start... I think you'll see division games to start, but you may not see six straight, for example. Uh, you may, if you, in fact, you may start with a Western game and then then have then get into division games. Like Penn State, for example, could start with Northwestern and then play at Indiana and at Michigan. They could do that. But they were going to release it today and they didn't. Okay. 